Hello and welcome to the Every Woman podcast. I'm Anna, editor of Every Woman. And every month we'll be bringing you the stories, insights and opinions of inspiring women in business on a wide range of topics. We'll be asking the questions you want the answers to and doubtless prompting some more in the process. Today we're looking at the gender pay gap, something that has been top of the news agenda recently and looks set to continue to be. It's nearly half a century since the Equal Pay Act was passed. And finally, in April, a clause of the 2010 Equality Act will come into force, requiring every company with more than 250 employees to publish its gender pay gap. The results look set to make interesting and controversial reading. And in the studio today, we'll be joined by someone who knows all about it, Helen Reardon Bond, former Head of Gender Equality Policy and Inclusion at the Government Equalities Office, and a leading expert on gender inequality and how to progress women in the workplace. Helen Reardon Bond. Welcome to the studio. Hi, Anna. It's nice to be here. Thanks. So why has it taken so long for the gender pay gap to be addressed and specifically for this clause to come into force? Well, the Office of National Statistics have been measuring the gender pay gap for many years and um, it has gone down, but it's kind of stalled. And that was really the impetus for it to be included in the Equality Act 2010. So it was put on, put, put within the provisions of the Equality Act and then not enacted because the coalition government said they wanted to take a voluntary approach. So this voluntary approach was called Think Act Report, which was trying to gear um, companies up to publish their gender pay gap report, but it didn't really have an impact. Hardly anybody published at all. Um, so as a consequence of that, the government decided that it had to take stronger action and bring in, it's called Section 78 of the uh, Equality Act. So that's that, that's the history to it, really. And one thing that I would say is the gender pay gap is completely different to the equal pay. Mm. Absolutely everybody gets those two things uh, confused. So for those who are listening, can you just sort of sum that up really briefly so that, that people are very clear? Sure. So equal pay is when you get men and women in an organisation doing the same job or similar job or job of a same value um, being paid differently so that will be all the stuff that's been in the news about the BBC recently um, alternatively the gender pay gap is the difference between the average man and the average woman's average earnings within a company what causes the gender pay gap is really three basic elements, very simplistically. The first element is that women tend to go into quite traditional roles. They don't enter what we call STEM, science, technology, engineering and math subjects, which are more highly paid. So that probably accounts for about a third of the gender pay gap. The other third is time out of the workforce, which is the consequence of having children. Um, so women progress at a slower rate than men or they actually take time out. So that has a huge impact because when they go back, they never really get their foot back on the ladder. There's a statistic that says, on average, women lose about 2% um, in terms of their salary over their lifetime for every year they have out of the labour market. Um, so we could probably do a lot more about educating women about, you know, try, you know, although it's difficult when you have a baby, try and not hang on in there. And obviously educating employers how to do better with uh, women coming back from maternity leave. And then the other third is kind of unknown, and that's where discrimination kicks in. 
um, and also um, equal pay. So that's the least known, obviously. But I think the great thing is that these new gender pay gap regulations are really making sure that companies are wrapping their heads in cold towels, looking at all their analysis, <laughs> looking at all their analysis. And, and for the first time, it's being really uh, discussed at senior levels within business. You know, boardrooms are looking at their gender pay gap. And I mean, is this a result of, of the fact that it has been mandatory? I mean, it, it, is it a bit disheartening that the voluntary, you know, looking at this in a voluntary manner didn't really take off? Why is that? Also, do you think that this mandatory thing will mean that people are looking at it and that it will eventually be positive for business as well as for individuals? Yeah, I think it's going to be um, a, a tremendous moment. I think that, um, so Sam Smethers from the Fawcett Society said, I think that the these regulations, the gender pay gap reporting regulations will probably have more of an impact on women's salaries over their lifetime than equal pay did. Um, because it's quite forensic, it's quite detailed. Companies have to do their calculations. Um, and it also, let's re remind ourselves, it also includes the bonus gap as well. And some companies are reporting a 70% bonus gap. Wow. Which is huge, yeah. <laughs> That's, I mean, yeah, it's not something you can justify when the cold no. hard figures are there, is no. it? No, yeah. I agree with you, Anna. And I also think, if you think about it, that's a significant amount of somebody's earnings. Mm, absolutely. 70% is, yeah, quite extraordinary. I mean, uh, so I want to come back to this idea then of, of the, the, the sort of social issues that underpin yeah. the gender pay gap. You know, you've talked about the traditional roles, the lack of women in STEM. Maternity is a big one. I yeah. mean, that is one that we are yet to resolve, I think, mm -hmm. personally, in any in any sort of meaningful way. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, what do you think that, that we could do or that, that as a society we should do that would have the most significant impact on uh, the gender pay gap other than this mandatory reporting how how will it change um well it's obviously multi-layered if there was one silver bullet i think we would have done it years ago um but clearly i think getting more um girls into stem subjects is absolutely key so we've seen quite an uplift in that but not enough so as an example only 16 percent of all engineering graduates are women so it's tiny. And then of those, not all of them stay in the workplace because it's quite unwelcoming in some of those industries, although some companies are, you know, are doing really well. Um, so clearly, we've got to engage more young girls to think about going into STEM industries is a good move. Um, and I know, for instance, every woman have got a great programme called Modern Muse. Yes, Modern um, Muse. Modern <laughs> Muse, yeah, which um, I'm, a, I'm delighted to be a trustee of. Um, but that's really about, you know, giving young girls role models that they can aspire to. Mm. Um, and not only that, but also work out, well, you know, what do I need in terms of getting, you know, um, GCSEs or whatever, or what kind of apprenticeships or what kind of companies um, can I do to, um, to to enter those um, those areas? So clearly, there's a lot around that piece, and some of the more enlightened um, employers are doing fantastic outreach programs mm. on that. Um, the other thing is obviously making sure that I think businesses really um, understand the business case. Um, so the Women's Business Council have done some fantastic uh, work around this. So um, I think the thing that I always um, remind people of is that McKinsey um, estimate that bridging the gender pay gap 
um, in work would um, add 150 billion to the UK economy by 2025. So, you know, when you think about us leaving Europe, mm. we need to absolutely capitalise on the potential of women in, in the workplace. Only 35%, um, Charter Management Institute um, say, only 35% of all middle managers are women. So that actually shows you it's not all about the top end. Mm. Women aren't even getting to the middle. Right. Um, so there's a whole piece there around, you know, what employers can do. And that's why I think the gender pay gap regulations are absolutely vital because for the first time, as I said, employers are sitting down forensically looking at their data and trying to look out, well, where in my company can I really focus myself and make the best intervention I can? Mm, mm. And then, as you say, looking at that and then looking at the figures from McKinsey, I mean, equality makes sense. It just makes sense. It's not even a moral imperative anymore. It just makes sense business and, and in all ways. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about... Uh, Harriet Harman said in an interview recently, and I quote, with the pay thing, the dam has burst because there's a statutory requirement to disclose. So you've got a choice. You either perpetuate it or you change it and the transition will be ragged. And she also mentioned that the obvious danger is that the figures will be published and women will be furious for a while and nothing will be done. So we've obviously talked about what will happen in the ideal world. How do you actually see things progressing from the April disclosures? Will it be a slow burn? Well, I think... I think in fairness to business, it will be unusual for a company not to have a gender pay gap, you know, and, and that's right across the piece um, in the public sector and in the private sector. Everybody's going to have a gender pay gap. So ours is 18.2. That's the average in the UK. What matters is really what happens in years two, three, four, five, six, mm. that companies need to be working on the areas of intervention where they can help uh, their employees close that. Um, so I think that that really is where um, companies will really focus on. I think that f now employers really do get the business case. You know, they really do understand that they need to capitalise on all their workforces, um, or, or all the people in their workforce. Um, and also, if you look at it, women are highly educated. You know, women account for nearly about 60% um, of all the degrees in this country. So, you know, what kind of organisation would throw away that kind of talent? You know, there's a huge cost to not retaining that talent. And we've got some policies now, you know, we've got shared parental leave where, you know, mothers and fathers can decide between themselves who's going to take more time out of the labour market to bring up the the children. So mm. I think, you know, some of this is laid at the door of employers, which in a way is a bit unfair because some of it is societal challenges, you know, mm. that the woman has always cared for the baby. But things are changing, you know. I, I know that my own son, um, he's always seen me work. He's seen me probably be like the hamster on the wheel. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, his expectations, you know, will be different in his partnership. And that, that goes across the board for all, all, all younger men as well. You know, I think that their expectations is that they want to be much more engaged with their children. And that kind of societal change will have a massive impact. Yes. I mean, obviously, it, you know, attitudes take uh, sometimes a generation or two to sort of filter through, don't they? I, I can't remember. I think it was. When did they project that the gender pay gap would close? Oh, well, it's, there, there's lots it, of different figures, but it's it, it, it runs into nearly 100 years. I mean, what, what we should um, 
remind ourselves is that even countries like Sweden and Denmark, which have had really progressive gender um, equality policies for a lot longer than us, um, and they've been focusing very much. For instance, Sweden's got a lot more women engineers and things like that. They've still got a gender pay gap. Um, so it is those societal challenges um, about childcare, really, that have the uh, have a massive impact. You know, it is still predominantly women um, that look after children, um, take a um, part-time role, which has an impact on their earnings. Um, so part-time um, gender pay gap is much bigger. It's about 40% if you work um, part-time. Um, Whereas the full-time yeah. gender, sorry, I was going to no, say, <laughs> uh, the full-time gender pay gap is nine point one percent for full-time workers. Nine point one. Yeah. Do you think then we need to make um, that a very clear distinction then when we're talking about it? Because you know it, it is it is a very opaque subject, and like you say, people get mixed up between that and equal pay, and then there's the figures that can be slightly skewed if you're putting part-time and full-time work together. I mean. We have to be quite precise about what we're talking about, don't we? Yeah, but I think the thing is, for the average woman in the UK, the Office of National Statistics say that um, she's earning approximately 80 pence to a man's average £1. So that's what's happening over a women's li- lifetime. And it has massive implications for um, the government because it means that women end up being the poorer pensioners as well mm. and more reliant on state help. So, you know, there's lots of reasons, lots of good reasons why we need to close this. Mm. Um, but the biggest reason, I think, for the employer is who would want to waste all that talent? What do we want our young women coming up and our daughters and their daughters and, you know, subsequent generations, what do we want them to be expecting from their work and from their remuneration? Um, I think that's a really good question. I think what what we want them to have is parity, you know, where if if they are um, as qualified, as experienced, you'd expect them to have parity of pay in the workplace. Um, And unfortunately, we're seeing it played out constantly on the front of the newspapers and social media um, that that isn't happening. So we'd expect them to have parity. But what I'd also hope is that this whole debate around the gender pay gap has really raised their awareness of the steps that they can take themselves to make sure that they don't fall foul mm. and that they you know walk you know they don't sleepwalk into careers and then pay the financial penalty afterwards or they're more robust about their expectations um, in the workplace I want to I want to come on to that because I want to ask you you know what we can do as individuals and what going forward people can do as individuals to sort of to, to, to help plug up the gender pay gap but I just wanted to pick up on this idea of the fact that, you know, we want them to assume parity. It's quite interesting, a bit of anecdotal, you know, um, research. I was asking people pre, um, actually pre the BBC, and these are, you know, educated women that I, of my acquaintance, you know, did they, did they know what the, the disparity was? And, and, and most of them seemed quite unaware of it before then. I mean, mm. it's obviously flourished in the dark, um, and perhaps not for any nefarious reason, but it's it's mm. the lack of knowledge about it. I think a lot of women possibly didn't realise the extent of the disparity. Would you would you say that's no, true? No, I think um, 
I think you're absolutely right. The average person would not realise anything about the gender pay gap. Male or female, actually. No, exactly. But you can't get away from it now. It's, mm. it's, it's constantly in the headlines as a result of the regulations, which is something I'm really proud of, actually. So I do think that women will make much more conscious decisions. So in terms of um, their expectations around their salary in the first place when they're going for a job, in terms of their promotion prospects... Um, and a big thing I think that would make a hu- it makes a huge difference to women is flexible working. So um, I know that that's a conversation that some women find difficult, um, but everybody in the UK has the right to request flexible working, and that's what I think makes the, makes a difference when you're trying to progress in the workplace, and particularly if you've got a family. Um, it's absolutely crucial that you try and secure some form of flexible working. Um, so some employers absolutely get it and are really flexible. Nowadays, we've got such fantastic IT. There's not really a huge amount of um, uh, obstacles, you know, to, to, to working more, flex- more flexibly. Um, so I think really understanding um, how flexible working and particularly when when your children are young, how that can keep you in a job that you really like, that you feel fulfilled in, um, will will just make such a difference. I mean, as you you say, it it, it just seems that everything is very much, it's part of a very big jigsaw puzzle that is shifting as we speak. And it's exciting times. I mean, are you excited? Oh, (laughs) I'm I'm really looking forward to to this. I think, you know... um, it's just going to make such a difference um, to employers' attitudes. So I think that employers who previously have let you know many women go because they didn't want to give flexible work in, they'll be looking again at their policies and thinking to themselves, actually, maybe we do need to be um, a bit more radical here and think about the different types of flexible work in. Um, so it's not all about you know working from home. It could be term time it can be job share compressed work weeks exactly, things like yeah. that yeah i know i'm i remember my old team um i used i had the most le- the highest level of flexible work in um because i didn't care when they did the job as long as it was done mm. so you're results focused rather than exactly. that old idea of really high performing team yeah um, that i was really proud of and they work flexibly you think people rise to that yeah, a, because they appreciate it. Yeah. I think you get back so much in terms of loyalty. Mm. You know, the, you know, I used to say, well, you know, don't worry, um, stay, stay at home. The kids are ill, um, but you know, um, mm. talk to me, and we're and they would like end up, you know, working later because they just appreciated that they didn't have somebody who was like, well, okay, then this isn't very satisfactory. You know, um, I'll remember this. On the subject of obstacles. Um, what lessons would you pass on to line managers? I mean, let's talk about factors like unconscious bias, for example. Um, I think that's a really good question, Anna, in terms of unconscious bias. I think often line managers, and I know I've done it myself, we make decisions um, on behalf of our teams and we don't realise or appreciate the massive impact that that will have on the gender pay gap or on that person's career over their lifetime. So, for instance, you know, 
I've had um, opportunities that come up and I think, oh, there's a lot of travel involved. They might have to go to Brussels. They might have to go to the UN. And then I think, mm, well, maybe I wouldn't offer it to that person because they've just come back from maternity leave and they've got a small baby that's crying at night. And mm-hmm. I can remember how that feels. Whereas what I should have done is actually sat down and said, said to that person, look, there are these opportunities coming up. I know you've had a baby. It might be difficult, but please go home and think about it. Do you want to do it? Because they are the big, sexy, interesting high-profile jobs that will get the person to progress up the ladder so I really think that we need to do a lot more in terms of um, don't make assumptions about the, the people on your team give everybody opportunities and let them make the decisions about whether or not they want to take that pressurized job don't make it for them couple more questions so What's the biggest question that businesses ask you regarding the gender pay gap? Um, I think at the moment, the biggest concern is because it's the very first time we've done it. So the biggest concern is they've done most companies out there have done their calculations um, and they're now worried about um, the communications around it. So that for sure is the biggest issue. And the communications really focuses on will their competitors figures be higher or lower than theirs. So there's a big reputational issue um, for them. The other um, big question, I think, is how will this be received within my workforce? Um, You know, will women think, you know, badly of the organisation? Will some of the senior women jump ship um, and go to a competitor who's got a lower pay gap? So um, a lot of them are looking at that. So hence, I think... um, they are um, working with organisations like Every Woman to to um, work out what the offer is in terms of um, the gender pay gap and how they can close it within their company. So there's a big communications piece around this yeah. that this has yeah. to happen after the reporting yeah. to, to yeah. ensure that the information is taken and then moves forward rather sure. than stops. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what do you say to them? Do you, is that what you say? Well, I try to reassure them and say everybody will have a gender pay gap. Mm. It's when you do the calculations and then work out what action you're going to take to close it and then communicate that really clearly. Last question. Just as a takeaway for anyone listening to this, mind reeling with the implications of, of all of it. What what should we all bear in mind as women about the gender pay gap and about, you know, the new landscape that is about to unfold? Well, first of all, I think don't confuse equal pay with the gender pay gap, because as I said, it's a bit more complex. It's got um, a lot more factors involved. But I think, you know, it's really about reflecting on your career decisions and um, and on your pay expectations. So don't be put off by a company that might have a big gender pay gap. Most of the best companies are actually publishing reports on what they're doing to close it. So have a look at those reports. Some of those, they're doing some really interesting things, some companies. So that's what I would say. Don't be put off if they've got a gender pay gap. Have a look at what they're doing to close it because I bet you some of them are working really hard and there'll still be great companies to work in. Fabulous. Helen, it's been a pleasure having you with us. Thank you so much for sharing your insight into the gender pay gap. And thank you all for joining us today on this Every Woman podcast. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you next time. But don't forget, in the meantime, there's a wealth of information, interest and further talking points on the Every Woman network and the app if you want access on the move. So until we meet again, have a great day and keep on living your best life.